welcome to the Reading for Success podcast brought to you by the Success League. This podcast focuses on books, articles, and other resources for customer success, provides an overview of each, and gives you an honest assessment of whether or not it's worth your time. Hi, my name is Kristen Hare, and I'm the host of Reading for Success. I'm also the CEO of the Success League, a boutique customer success consulting and training firm based in San Francisco. This week, I'm reviewing a new article, and we're continuing the review of our current book, HBR's 10 Must Reads on Change Management. We're going to cover chapters 6 through 8 of the book on this episode. Today's article is called Harnessing Everyday Genius by Gary Hamill and Michelle Zanini. This article can be found in the July and August 2020 issue of Harvard Business Review and on the hbr.org website. So what's this one about? The authors use the story of Michelin, and yes, that's the tire company, to make the case that by empowering frontline workers, companies can increase the number of quote-unquote good jobs that seem to be declining despite government and policy initiatives. They can also dramatically improve their own operations and employee satisfaction. And this article tackles head-on the prejudice that low-wage jobs are filled by minimally capable people and offers an alternative that is good for both workers and companies. So how is this related to customer success? I really like the idea of empowering CSMs to take on more decision-making around their roles and how to make things right for customers. And many of the examples in the article not only show how this shift helped Michelin improve the lives of their workers, but also how this had a positive impact on Michelin's customers. So what were my key takeaways? In general, I appreciate the philosophy of this article. I do believe that many people in frontline roles are undervalued, and that is a perspective based on a lot of, at this point, really old history. Now, most people on the front lines have at least a high school diploma and generally a college degree, and yet we still often treat them like a factory worker in the 1900s, giving them scripts to follow and limiting their access to strategic decision making. This article argues that times have changed, and by continuing to support the premise that frontline workers aren't capable, we are artificially limiting the growth potential of our organizations. On page 91 of the magazine article, which is probably page four or five of the online article, under the section launching the movement, the authors say that at Michelin, the focus was on the why, not the how. At the Success League, we embrace this idea 100% and believe this is how CS teams should design processes. When you're a CSM, even a frontline CSM, you might need to know when you should engage and what you should talk about, but nobody should need to tell you how to talk to customers. That should be intuitive. And if it isn't, your manager should be actively coaching you. In our business, we rarely see an issue with the how. It is almost always at the leadership level with the what. I also found the following quote in the step four section interesting. Quote, as their responsibility grew, the factory workers asked for more information. We can't expect operators to make the right decisions to have good business judgment without the proper information, unquote. And if you think about it, that's a powerful thought. Often frontline workers are kept away from data because leaders think it won't be understood or it'll be distracting. At this point in time, this is really hierarchical thinking. Frontline workers, especially in customer success, have unparalleled access to customers. If that can be combined with usage and strategic data, 
those individuals have the resources to creatively think about customers in a way that no one else in the organization can. Okay, at this point, you may all be thinking that I'm all about a flat organizational structure. I'm not, and neither is this article. This article positions managers as facilitators, people who can remove obstacles, provide advice, and focus on strategic guidance for the organization and the team. This article also emphasizes the need for ongoing training and education as an enabler of this type of empowerment. So is this article worth your time? If you're a CS leader who has considered the idea of a completely flat organizational structure, this article offers an interesting alternative where employee empowerment is enabled by the management team, freeing up managers to tackle strategic issues and drive change. Same level of frontline engagement, but better results for the company. I think that this is an interesting idea. And if you can't adopt the entire process, I do think you can away take away tactics that will help your team engage at a richer level. If you're a CSM, this may be less interesting for you unless you're on a mission to increase CSM engagement at the strategy level, in which case this article may give you some cool ideas. So next topic, our book. This week I'm covering chapters six through eight of HBR's 10 Must Reads on Change Management. Again, this book is a collection of well-researched articles from Harvard Business Review and features different authors' takes on the topic of change management. Today's chapters are A Survival Guide for Leaders by Ronald Heifetz and Marty Linsky, The Real Reason People Won't Change by Robert Keegan and Lisa Laskow-Lehi, and Cracking the Code of Change by Michael Beer and Nitin Nuria. So what is this section about? A survival guide for leaders, and I will admit after reading this title, I was slightly disappointed when this chapter didn't include exciting illustrations of leaders battling snakes or sharks, uh, is about the dark side of leadership and offers some tactical approaches to leadership when you're working through a period of substantial change. The real reason people won't change is a fascinating psychological approach to change management with a focus on change resistance its drivers, and how to uncover and overcome them. And cracking the code of change divides change efforts into two types, those focused on economic value and those focused on organizational capability, and argues that only by balancing both can a company succeed in producing effective change. So what do I agree with? I think overall there is a lot of cool stuff in these three articles, so it's a little hard to know where to start. I'll just start from the first one. Chapter six, A Survival Guide for Leaders, gets into the raw reality of leadership in a way I've seen in few articles I've ever read. It almost seems designed to scare away potential leaders from the path of leadership, which I have to say isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think that a lot of people get into leadership because it seems like their next step, when in fact there are lots of other career advancement opportunities in customer success that don't involve managing other people. The authors are very clear about the fact that leading people through change means that you are at points going to be attacked, marginalized, and undermined. As a leader, your job is to stay strong through what is sometimes a hostile environment and manage your own vulnerabilities while you push for change. This isn't for everyone, and that's okay. I also like the author's step-by-step -step approach to managing the work environment. And if you're looking for a quick summary of the process, there's a chart on pages 102 and 103 of the book. It's probably on pages four through five if you're looking at the online article. I especially like the section on cooking the conflict. 
Basically, this is finding the balance of healthy conflict, and they call that turning up the heat, uh, and reducing anxiety about too much change, and they call that turning down the heat. The authors argue that without some distress, there's no incentive to change, but that it needs to be controlled so that the change management efforts aren't crushed by too much division and conflict. In chapter seven, the real reason people won't change, what I appreciated the most was the chart on page 126 and 127 of the book, which provides six different examples of the process that the authors have leaders follow in order to diagnose why an otherwise strong performer might be resisting change. I think these examples really bring the theories that are discussed in the chapter to life, and they helped me understand the diagnostic process a bit better. I also like that this chapter may provide a tool to help leaders retain strong performers through a period of change instead of having to let them go because they're resisting. I found chapter eight, Cracking the Code of Change, interesting for a more personal reason. Scott Paper Company and the company's one-time CEO, Al Dunlap, are used as a quote-unquote what-not-to-do example in the book. Uh, my dad worked as a leader on Scott Paper's mechanical engineering team during the time when Al was slicing and dicing it to increase shareholder value. And I remember the level of stress it caused for my dad and his team. Dad would often talk about having really limited resources to repair broken machinery or keep enough staff scheduled to maintain operations. And he was frustrated because he knew that every time something broke down, manufacturing would stop and it would cost the company more than they were saving by capping budget for staff and repairs. The author argues that having a sole focus on economic value without considering organizational health capability and operations ultimately results in less, not more value for the company as a whole. And ultimately, Scott Paper's growth was unsustainable and the company was sold to a competitor, Kimberly Clark. My other favorite part of chapter eight is the call out on page 153 of the book, probably close to the end of the online article, called Change Theories in the New Economy. This section talks about how the arguments made in the article also apply to early stage companies that need to manage rapid growth. Finally, rapid growth. Um, they propose that just like there are two ways of changing, one that focuses on economic value and another that focuses on organizational capability, there are also two kinds of entrepreneurs who tend to follow these same patterns. They argue that by balancing these two types of efforts, entrepreneurs can be more effective with early stage companies. So what do I disagree with this week? I think just two things I wanna call out. First, I wish the authors of A Survival Guide for Leaders had spent just a little more time talking about how to manage yourself. They had great examples and tips for managing the environment and team, but then kind of glossed over the part about managing yourself and included far fewer ideas and resources. I think that many leaders find managing themselves tougher than managing their environment. And if you listened in on my last book review on the book called How Women Rise, there were countless examples of how you can get in your own way. From arrogance to imposter syndrome to a need to please everyone around you, we often have a tougher time managing what is going on in our own heads than managing what is going on around us. I wish the authors had spent a little bit more time on that part of the article and added a few more practical tips on how to overcome the mental challenges of leadership. Second, while I think that chapter seven, the real reason people won't change, was probably the best article in this group, I honestly don't see anyone but a very senior leader being able to pull off this kind of conversation with their team members. The process involves digging into people's deep-seated needs and fears, 
and challenging them to take an alternative viewpoint. I don't know that newer leaders should focus on this level of engagement with team members until they are rock solid on leadership basics and have proven experience driving performance across diverse teams. While the authors did a great job of laying out the process, without strong leadership experience, I think it could be more damaging than helpful to go down this road. So is this worth reading? Um, I love this section, and I think overall it is. A survival guide for leaders is a great read for those who are leading through a period of change. So right now, that would be all CS leaders. Um, if you're a newer customer success leader, this article may help you see some ways that you could adjust your approach to drive change effectively while protecting yourself and your mental health. If you're a CSM who is considering leadership, I would definitely recommend this article, which is very realistic about the downsides of leadership. Um, so go into management with your eyes open. Uh, if you're a CSM who isn't interested in or ready for leadership, you can skip this one. The real reason people won't change is interesting. It might be especially helpful if you have a team member who is otherwise a great performer, but is struggling with change. CS leaders should read this one uh, and skim it if you're just interested in the theory, but read deeper if you're facing this challenge. I don't think that CSMs need to read this one, although if you're interested in human behavior, you might find it fascinating. Cracking the code of change is really geared for senior leaders who are driving substantial change in their organizations. So unless you are on your company's leadership team, you can probably skim or skip this one. If you are a chief customer officer or a VP of customer success, you should read this article, identify the approach your organization leans toward, and look for ways you could balance your company's approach to growth. If you're reading along with me, next episode I'll be wrapping up Harvard Business Review's 10 Must Reads on Change Management with chapters 9 through 10. You can purchase this book on either Amazon or on the hbr.org website. Since this is a brand new podcast, if you like it, please take a couple of minutes to rate it and subscribe. You can also email feedback and ideas to me at kristen at thesuccessleague.io. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join Reading for Success next time.